Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Thanks for joining us here for a moment of study in God's prophetic word as we take a look at the book. I hold in my hands a five-hour series entitled Clear and Present Danger. My friend, we need to understand the times in which we're living. There's a fight against creationism. Satan's replacement theology is rampant in our world, and the preparations for ecclesiastical Babylon have been made. In addition to that, the global threat of Islam is reality today, and there is quite a mysterious silence in our churches on the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, these are some of the dangers. We're going to listen to the second in our study of a clear and present danger for today. So take a moment with us. Let's listen, and then I'll tell you how you can get your copy of this five-hour series entitled Clear and Present Danger. Well, what happens next is Peter and uh, John, they get involved in ministry. They go up to the temple. They're on their way to pray. They walk by the gate beautiful. They see a lame man. Peter walks by and says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. In the name of Jesus, cries up and walk. And he picked him up by the hand and a man was made whole. And he didn't have to give him the Peter or the Jimmy DeYoung soul winning courts. Man, this guy knew how to tell people about Jesus Christ. Something had happened to him. He didn't have to be motivated. He had to be pressured into being a soul winner. He went out and started talking to people about Jesus Christ. Everybody started to gather together, and they started to preach, and another 4,000 were saved. It was, un- oh, excuse me, 5,000, 5,000. Look at chapter 4. 5,000 came to know Christ as Lord and Savior as they stood to hear the testimony, and then Peter giving the message of the gospel again. But what starts to happen in chapter 4 is persecution. They had favor with men in chapter 2. And then as the church starts to grow, as they start to say, wait a minute, there's something about this that's going on that we need to take notice of, persecution would be inflicted upon this early church. Peter and John were brought up before the Caiaphas and, and all the scribes at the temple, and they told them not to teach or preach in Jesus' name anymore. I love what it says in verse 19, uh, verse 20. Look what it says. Uh, They were told not to teach or preach in Jesus Christ's name anymore. And here's what they say. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I call them spiritual can't help it. In the face of persecution, they couldn't but help to teach and preach what they had seen and heard. These men actually took opposition. They were facing opposition uh, from the hierarchy at the temple. They were told not to preach. They were facing opposition. And through the omnipotence of God, look back over here in chapter 4 and verse verse, um, verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. These men were inspired to do what God wanted them to do by the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, but they were filled with power. They had omnipotent power. So though they faced opposition through the omnipotence of God, they took that opposition with his omnipotence and turned it into opportunity. And in fact, when they were told not to preach, uh, the big wheels at the temple said, well, how did you heal this man? <laughs> Look what it says here in verse 10. But be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him. Now, what were they told not to do? Preach the gospel. So what did Peter do when he was told not to do it? And then they asked him, how did you heal the lame man? It was by Jesus Christ who you crucified, who God's raised from the dead. Honey, that's the gospel. 
death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were preaching to the guys who were telling them not to preach anymore. So they took opposition through omnipotence and turned it into opportunity. Persecution was in effect, and that is in essence, if you study the book of Acts, that is in essence how the churches now started to grow. Contradictory to what I'm going to be speaking on on Thursday night, the church growth movement doesn't want it to be opposed by anybody. We got to embrace everybody. We got to love everybody. Don't talk about doctrine. Oh, I'm getting to that session, which is one of those clear and present dangers as well. You notice here what is unfolding. Persecution starts the spread of the gospel. For the first 20 years, those who came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior were Jews. I was trying to lead a lady to the Lord on the Jesus boat. It's one of those replicas of the boat that Jesus may have fished in on the Sea of Galilee. And this Jewish lady was sitting there, a Jewish mama. If you looked in a dictionary for Jewish mama, her picture would have been there. She was just the epitome of it. And all of a sudden, she looked up at me and she says, I don't know what's wrong with you Christians. I said, what do you mean? She said, don't you know the first Christian was a Jew? I said, you're right, lady. That is interesting. Boy, she thought she had me, you know. She kind of sat back in all of her pride, and I let her simmer in that for a few moments. I looked up at her. I don't know what's wrong with you, you Jews. She said, what do you mean? I said, don't you know the first Jew was a Gentile? She said, he was. How did that happen? I said, I'm glad you asked me, lady. And I took her to the Word and showed her using opportunity evangelism. But listen, that is the case. For the first 20 years, the church was made up of Jewish people. Gentiles did not enter into the church. Only those who had a Jewish background came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'll go over to, to chapter uh, 10 just for a second. Let me show you. Man, Acts is such an excellent book. Harry Ballback, do you still teach Acts, Harry? At the Word of Life Island every year? It'd be a great opportunity for you to get your young people up to here, Harry. Look at chap- the last part of chapter 9 before we get to chapter 10. Look at verse 32. And it came to pass, as Peter passed through all the quarters, he came down unto the saints which are at Lydda. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, that Lydda would be modern-day Lod. That's where the Ben-Gurion Airport is, in that location. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, And Aeneas, uh, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Look at this, verse 35. And all that dwelt in Lydda and Sharon, which is the coastal plains up there, saw him and they turned to the Lord. Man alive. Everybody in the community turned to Jesus Christ. A man was healed, he gave a testimony, and then Peter preached, and everybody turned to Jesus Christ. You know where he goes from there? They hear about him over in Jaffa, or Joppa. They're the same, Jaffa and Joppa, the exact same place. And uh, Dorcas was living over there. She was at the point of death. In fact, she died before Peter could get there. He goes over and heals her, raises her actually from the dead. And and as that takes place, every single person in that community heard the gospel message. We don't have that happening today. Persecution was in effect. And because of that, these men were moving out. Jesus said, start here in Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria. Now Peter's on his way into Judea and Samaria. That's Judea. Sharon is up in Samaria. He's starting to reach out. 
to win people to Jesus Christ. But then he, in chapter 10, has a dream. He's staying in Joppa at the house of Simon the Tanner. He goes up on the roof. Mrs. Tanner is <laughs> making some lunch for him. He falls asleep waiting for lunch. Well, he's actually having a little prayer time up there. Uh, that's the best way to go to sleep, you know, instead of... Uh, County sheep just talked to the shepherd, and he went right to sleep. And uh, in a dream, he saw a white sheet come down, all kind of unclean animals in the sheet. And the voice said, kill and eat all of these sheep. Now, this is a, one of the times that Peter said, not so, Lord, but he finally came to the conclusion he was supposed to do that. Meanwhile, up in Caesarea, up the Mediterranean coast, uh, about a day's journey, uh, there was a centurion, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. He was a man faithful to studying the word of God. He honored the Lord. He gave money, but he didn't know Christ as his Lord and Savior. So he dispatched a couple of his house servants and one of his military leaders, and they went down to Jaffa, south on the Mediterranean coast there. It was too late to travel, so they spent the night with Peter. They come back the next day. They come into Caesarea, and for the very first time, the gospel message now through the lips of the apostle Peter goes to the Gentiles. This church that was planted, this church that was persecuted, now becomes prolific. They're going to move out. They're going to spread. They're going to go to the Gentiles. Peter is chosen to be the first apostle to go to the Gentiles. And he leads all of Cornelius' household to the Lord. And others who were interested got saved. I, I can't teach the whole book of Acts. Go to chapter 13 with me. Uh, the apostle Paul, who stood there, at uh, really the beginning of the persecution, when Stephen was stoned to death, he stood there holding the cloak of Stephen, watching him being stoned to death. He was then on his way over to Damascus with orders to take Christians and bring them in and put them in jail, kill some of them. On that road to Damascus, he was confronted by Jesus Christ himself. He came to know Christ as Lord and Savior, spent three years over in Arabia, comes back in then and spends time studying, getting ready to go out. God then selects Barnabas and Paul to go out on a missionary journey. 13th chapter of the book of Acts is that story. They go into Cyprus first, then they make their way across the uh, the Mediterranean over into Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. They hold a great meeting in chapter 13. You can read about that later. Uh, the Jews get really uptight because a number of people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Look at verse 44 of chapter 13. And the next Sabbath day came also the whole city to gather to hear the word of God. Can you imagine that? Every place these guys go, the whole city, the whole region comes to hear the word of God. Man, that's when it was happening. That was true church growth in a proper way. Now notice what happens, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. That's what Jesus said, go to the Jew first. It should have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. I said it's a prolific movement that is now moving ahead. The Jew for the first 20 years. Now we're starting to see God's 
plan reach into the Gentile world. In fact, uh, it, it becomes such a concern that they have a church council, the very first church council recorded, 15th chapter of the book of Acts. James, who is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, by the way, isn't that interesting? You know what our ministry has been? I established a church in Jerusalem. The first pastor of that church in Jerusalem was James, James the Elder. Now, this latest church in Jerusalem is pastored by James the Younger. Anyway, uh, but uh, here they are. <laughs> Give you a break. Just write it down. You'll use it later, I know. Uh, here they are, and they're going to have a meeting. They're going to say, hey, we better discuss this issue. We, we now see Christianity, because in chapter 13, they'd already been called Christians at Antioch. We better investigate, is it worthy of the Gentile to receive this? So James calls the council. He calls for Paul. He calls for Peter to stand up and give testimony. Peter stands up in verse 7. And when uh, there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and he said unto them, men and brethren, you know that how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And then in verse 12, and then with all the multitude kept silence, uh, James gave audience, uh, the audience, the opportunity here, Barnabas and Paul declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And at the conclusion of this church council, they decide that this conformed to what the word of God said. The prophets had made mention of this. And this was the beginnings of the times, excuse me, of the period of time that would be looked forward to by Paul when he wrote in Romans chapter 11 of the fullness of the Gentiles coming into existence. A program was set in place. Listen. It did not replace anything that was already in operation. And the book of Romans would prove that. But a program was set in place to win Gentiles as well. Coming alongside this evangelistic effort to win Jewish people to Jesus Christ, now there was a parallel track to win Gentiles to Jesus Christ. To form together this one body. In fact, that is exactly what Paul wrote to the people in Ephesus when he wrote in the second chapter, in times past, there were two people at enmity with each other, the Gentile and the Jew. There was a wall of petition between them. That's a a temple term. There was a wall of petition between them. And with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he extracted that wall. He took two people, Gentile and Jew, and made them one. That's an essential that you need to understand. There's a movement going on called the Messianic movement today. They separate from the body of Christ. It's a separating, a divisive type of operation. God took Gentile and Jew. The whole contention of Paul when he wrote Galatians was you don't have to become a Jew before you become a Christian. Uh, there's no separation out there. We hear, I, I live in Israel. I pastor a church in Israel. And if somebody uh, out of the Jewish world comes to know Christ, he calls himself a Messianic Jew or a completed Jew. I've never seen an incomplete Jew. I don't know what an incomplete Jew looks like. Maybe it's a nine-pound ear or something. I don't know. But the two, Gentile and Jew, come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And so there's a pluralistic operation of the church. 
made up of Gentiles and Jews becoming Christians. Now that's the beginning. That's the beginning. This is the first century. This is the establishment of this institution that God brought into existence, the local church. You see, he brought into existence family, Genesis 2. Human government, Genesis 9. And that third institution, local church, Acts 2. He uses these three institutions, the family, human government, and the church, to accomplish his will on this earth. And so he's established this movement. That's the church. Thank you for spending the time studying the prophetic word of God with us. The series that we have been listening to, or at least a portion of it, is entitled Clear and Present Danger. I talk about the fight against creationism, Satan's replacement theology, preparations for ecclesiastical Babylon, the global threat of Islam, and the mysterious silence of the church about the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you would like to get your copy, you can call our toll-free number at 877-674-3298. Now that number is toll-free from across America. Let me give it to you again, 877-674-3298. Or you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, go to the shopping mall, and you can order this series, Clear and Present Danger, online. By the way, as you study through this five-hour series on issues that we are dealing with today, you will come to the realization that the return of Jesus Christ could be very, very close at hand. Now, that's the second coming back to Jerusalem. But seven years before, that's the rapture of the church. And actually, that could happen at any moment. There's nothing left for me to say then, except let's keep looking up until...